Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. And if you want to inspire someone, share your success story. And that's what this show is all about. I believe that successful women think differently. And by the end of this podcast, I hope you're going to agree with me. In the Spotlight, award-winning ESPN producer and author Lisa Fenn. Also looking for a great story, Lisa returned to her hometown of Cleveland on a tip from a viewer who told her about two high school wrestlers who were best friends. One of the boys was blind, the other had no legs. And over the course of five months, Lisa came to know and deeply care about D'Artagnan and Leroy. So she decided to help them. And this is her story. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. We met each other a while ago, and, and I've been watching you, and, and uh, I was so excited when I kicked off this podcast series to be able to include you as one of our first guests. Thanks for coming here today. I'm absolutely honored. Okay, so we had the chance to meet, and um, you started to tell me the story about these two wrestlers from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. What was your initial reaction when you got, did you get an email from a viewer? I mean, bring us into the story. How, how did this go? No, I, it, was, it was my father, actually. He lives in Cleveland. That's where I was raised. He was still there. He was always on the lookout for my next great sports story. Oh, that's awesome. And okay. on that morning, he brought my attention to a photograph in the Cleveland newspaper of Leroy, who's a double amputee riding on the back of his best friend and teammate, D'Artagnan, who's legally blind. And I had done more than 200 stories in my career up to that point, so I thought I had seen everything, but I had never seen a photograph like that before. And if I had to put a tagline to it, it would essentially be the one who could not walk being carried by the one who could not see, and I was gripped by them. Tell me about your first meeting then. You know, you decide you're going to do the story and you reach out. You know, tell me how it all unfolded. Yeah, I wasn't even sure that, what, that there was a story at that point. I just had a photograph and a few sketchy details in this newspaper article. But what I did know was that that afternoon was the, potentially the last wrestling match of their high school careers. And so I unconventionally convinced my manager to let me hop on a plane that morning and go to Cleveland. And so I walked into the gym five hours later. I just knew I had to find them. <laughs> and there they were. But before I could get too close to them to introduce myself, their coach noticed my camera crew and I inter- put out my hand to introduce myself and he sort of slapped it away. And he said, I don't need to know your name. All we need to get straight here is that you've been sent by God. So no pressure there, right? <laughs> wow. And and let me just also say that a lot of the theme for what we're going to talk about today is your faith and is your belief that this was part of your journey. Well, it began as part of his journey, this coach, because what he went on to explain in that moment was that every day he would circle the track praying for his athletes. And this is an inner city high school Nine kids on a wrestling team and two pairs of shoes that they alternated between them. Less than 40% graduation rate at this school. And this coach would tirelessly circle this track praying for his athletes. And he said, this year, I've been praying hard for D'Artagnan and Leroy because they're seniors. And once they graduate, this world's got nothing for kids like them. This is one of those stories that's really hard to swallow because these two kids grew up in such poverty. Yeah. Describe their home lives. 
So they were 16 and 17 when I met them. They Neither of them had parents actively involved with their lives. They, the parents that they did have left struggled with substance abuse. They had both endured long periods of homelessness and transiency, not to mention the tra- childhood trauma, the loss, the disabilities. And I was just amazed that they combated these circumstances, not with you know, a sense of entitlement. They weren't angry. They combated it with a really beautiful, cheerful friendship, which is not the norm in teenage urban culture. And so that stuck out to me immediately as special. I was confident I wouldn't have been as strong as they were if I were in their shoes, but it was like they, you know, picked each other up both literally and figuratively each day and said, we're going to get through this. As a journalist, did you know that you were on to a story that was going to change your life? No, I didn't. I was hoping that I could tell a great story, thereby maybe changing their lives. I was praying the whole time that just one viewer with a big heart and a big pocketbook would be moved enough to step in and alleviate you know, their financial problems. And in um, fact, that's exactly what happened. Well, I dreamed a little too small because instead I got like a thousand people <laughs> who emailed me wanting to just give money to get them to college, to get them fed on a daily basis, to get them medical services. Um, and I had never had that happen before. So it was unprecedented. Tell us, because obviously this is not a visual medium. I'm holding the book, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll have some pictures up on our website. But uh, I'm looking at these two boys just looking into each other's eyes. It's clear to me that they are connected mm-hmm. in so many ways. Describe D'Artagnan, and then describe Leroy for us. They couldn't be more opposite in their personalities. D'Artagnan is your your classic extrovert. Um, We call him our walking iPod. He's always got a song in his heart. Um, He always sees the best in people and the best in the world, despite uh, how life has treated him otherwise. And this was a kid who, as a, when I met him in school, he was writing the phrase destined for greatness at the top of his papers. He had no reason to believe that. There was nothing in his life that suggested a path toward greatness. But this is a kid with just a different kind of heart. And what is his disability so people understand? D'Artagnan was born legally blind. So if he were four or five feet away from you, he would not be able to make out your facial features or tell you exactly what you look like. Tell us about Leroy. Um, Leroy is the opposite. He is he's introverted. He's a deep soul. Um, he trusts very slowly because of all the hurt and abandonment that he's faced in his life. And D'Artagnan was literally the one person in his life that he did trust and that he did open up to. There's certainly, um, I think the the carrying that they do of one another was really just a symbol for the care Mm. that they shared. And, uh, They just had this relationship between them that drew everyone in at their school around them. They wanted to be around them. They wanted to experience the, you know, what they shared and they made people better. There's a quote that I have from the last time you and I talked. You said, Leroy got hit by a train and he got back up again. What more do you need to know? Yeah. 
Yep, I think that about him all the time. I've visited those train tracks. I've sat on those train tracks where he was hit. I've watched that train go by, and I just can't imagine how you get up and continue your life. How Um, old was he when he lost his legs? And this is exactly, everyone, how it happened. He was hit by a train and lost his legs. How did this happen? He was 11 years old. He was walking to school with his brother. They took a shortcut because they were late. Um, These were tracks that were not fenced in, and even though the train moves slowly through that area, Leroy described it to me as when you're on the highway in your car and there's a semi-trailer in the next lane, and that sort of creates that gravitational pull that we've Ah, all experienced as we're driving. And he said he wasn't walking um, right up against the tracks, but close enough that when he slipped on the gravel, the gravitational pull pulled him toward the train and his legs were quickly under the wheels. And he he rotated under that train 13 times as the wheels continued to saw through his limbs. If you're shuddering... Join the club because it it makes you close your eyes and you almost it's so terrible you need to go to another place. So this is a kid who got back up again. Yeah. And honestly, he's gotten back up from so much as if the physical trauma wasn't enough. His mother abandoned him after that. She just wasn't equipped for the depth of care that he needed. And that was almost the more painful part. Sure. You know, it's like the fractures of the heart and the mind often hurt worse than a thousand broken bones. Leroy became D'Artagnan's eyes, mm-hmm. and D'Artagnan became Leroy's <laughs> legs. He couldn't and have this cast is how it. we carry on. Yeah. Your team films the story. You're the producer. You have an aim. This was so much more than your typical sports story. What were you hoping viewers would feel after they watched this story? I was hoping that that they would experience Leroy and D'Artagnan's resilience, that we could all see that when there's challenges before us and obstacles, that we do have choices in how we respond, that these two responded with love, with friendship, with laughter. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean that they're ignoring, you know, the rain cloud above them. Mm -hmm. But they made a conscious choice every day to step into their difficult circumstances and still try to become the best person, the best athlete, the best friend that they could. And I thought there was that was a really powerful lesson. Five months went by between the time you first contacted them. And then there was, it, over the course of those five months, something happened to you mm. as as not just a journalist yeah. and, and not just as a producer for ESPN, which is a major market, big time job to have. I'm guessing your plate was always full. Mm. But something happened inside your heart yeah, that gravitationally pulled you into a new place. And it's based on faith as well. What happened? Well, I watched D'Artagnan every day, right? Destined for greatness at the top of his papers. And I watched Leroy slowly begin to trust me. And I just knew these two boys deserved better. And I knew I was in a position to help find that better. I also had a really powerful conversation with their coach early on where before Leroy would really open up to me, his coach said, oh, you just got to give him time. He probably thinks you're just a turkey lady. 
And I said, a who? And he <laughs> said, you know, a turkey lady, one of those white people who come across to our side of town on Thanksgiving and dropped off the canned goods and think that they did their good deed. <sighs> and I stood on that front porch for a while thinking, I don't think I'm a turkey lady. I don't know. You don't look like a turkey Maybe lady. Maybe I'm a turkey lady. Well, I'm not going to be a turkey lady this time. <laughs> wow. And it just really impressed upon me the the desire to to make good on earning his trust. You know, it wasn't just a story I was after. It was I wanted to soothe their pain with love um, and show them that there was just cause, just cause to trust in this world. At one point, D'Artagnan refers to you as his guardian angel, and Leroy calls you his mom. Yes. You had to have gone home and said to your husband, we need to have a conversation, and I need to make this big step in my life. Did it go the way you thought it would when you chatted with your husband? I'm, like, I'm going to imagine that it did. What was that <laughs> moment like? Oh, well, there were many moments, and those two moments that you mentioned came a little bit later because... What happened was, as viewers began offering resources and money to sort of get them off to college, I took on that role of of helping them take the next step. But I really thought I would just, you know, pack them up and wave proudly from afar as they rode off into this new life and that we had cured the ills of poverty just like that. Um, but it quickly became apparent that the landmines between their dreams and their realities were more than they could navigate it on their own. Neither one of them could hold on to a dollar, hit a deadline, um, place a customer service call. They were terribly deficient academically. Their life skills were deficient. And I was pretty naive thinking I could just send them off to college and they would be fine. Yeah. So what I came to understand was that everything in their life had taught them how to endure problems, but nothing taught them how to solve problems. And we had to reprogram those mindsets of poverty and it wasn't the quick fix that I thought it was going to be. And so for many years, it was a daily conversation of navigating adult responsibilities with them, from teaching them banking and budgeting and coursework and navigating disability services and customer service calls. And certainly initially there was a moment where I said to my husband, I'm just bringing them home. <laughs> um, and he said, okay, Lisa. <laughs> He, we didn't have children of our own at that point, and um, he really, though he supported the vision, he felt we needed to start at the shallow end of the parenting pool. <laughs> However, um, we still were, remained intricately involved in their lives to to get them to points of self-sufficiency. It's amazing how powerful love can be. Yeah. Even when we don't know what the heck we're doing, if we lead with love. Great things happen. Yes. A friend of mine once told me that, uh, in fact, she's, uh, she's someone who used to run a very large nonprofit here in Massachusetts called the Home for Little Wanderers. Mm. And she's, uh, her name is Joan Wallace Benjamin. I'll call her out right now. She's one of my faves. And she, I asked her once, you know, what does it take for a child who is at risk to survive a situation like that? And she said, one caring adult, mm. somebody who runs the marathon with them, yes. not the 50-yard dash. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yes. I have learned it takes a long-term committed kind of love. I had a conversation several years back with, with a physician who was on Leroy's care team 
after his accident. And I, he was unaware of all Leroy had endured after that accident and the abandonment and, and went on to really lead, guide me through the post-traumatic stress disorder issues that Leroy had that went untreated to lead me through how trauma affects his coping mechanisms, all things I didn't know going into this. And I said to him, you know, he's 20-some years old now. Like, do we have a chance to turn this around? And he said to me, you just have to understand that if it took 18 years to create this mess, it may take 18 years to reverse it. But he said the only way that you're going to fail is if you don't try. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmasian, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. This is the story behind her success. I'm Candy O'Terry, and in the spotlight, award-winning ESPN producer Lisa Fenn. She's the author of the inspiring memoir, Carry On, a story of resilience and redemption and an unlikely family that was created as the result of meeting these two boys, D'Artagnan and Leroy, on a shoot in Cleveland for a sports story because they were both incredible wrestlers. Faith is central to your story. Can you talk to me for a minute about how it guides you? Yeah. Um, Certainly, you don't think of uh, cable sports television as your classic Christian sort of ministry, but I think it's a perfect example of how God can use our gifts and our talents wherever he, he plants us. And for me, you know, each day I went to work, I would pass through a sliding door at the side of my house, and on one side I would say, Lord, show me where you're at work in this world today. And then I would step across the threshold and say, and use me where you can. And as you know, when you work in media and you put cameras on people for a living, it creates a sort of accelerated vulnerability that you don't get in other professions. And so people were, as that I was interviewing, were sharing their, you know, their greatest triumphs and their greatest losses. And you find yourself in really intimate positions with people. And then when those cameras and those lights go off, they're still looking at you, you know, for a response, for a validation, for an answer sometimes. And so I found that I often had the chance to have really deep conversations with my story subjects and even pray with them when the opportunity arose or to meet needs that came up, but certainly never to the degree of that it happened with Leroy and D'Artagnan. I was always on the lookout for what God was doing in the lives of these subjects and where he might use me. After D'Artagnan and Leroy left high school, these funds that were created through the generosity of ESPN viewers, for whom you will always be grateful, were used to help take care of them and to provide them with an education. Take up the story. What happened next? Well, uh, it was a disaster. As I said, they were wholly unequipped to handle college life, Um, not in an irresponsible way, but just they didn't know what they didn't know. Um, 
it turned out, despite graduating high school and passing all their standardized tests, they essentially had eighth grade reading levels and fifth grade math levels. Uh, they just they didn't know how to communicate with professors. They didn't know how to schedule their time. They didn't know how to study. And yeah, that didn't go well. They failed everything initially. Uh, D'Artagnan in particular, I pulled him for two years to work with a private tutor and try to get his skills up to speed. Leroy stayed in school. He was at a design school, so it was a little less taxing. Um, and he could rely on his artistic gifts. But it was hard. And can you imagine graduating? They were the first people in their family to graduate from high school, so they felt like they had really made something of themselves. So to have to come to the point of understanding how deficient they still were, that was a lot of back and forth and headbutting for a few years. But we kept at it. They grew to understand. They remembered their dreams and saw that this was the only path forward. And so I really commend them for how hard they worked and how willing they were to accept their shortcomings and to get to where they wanted to be. But it took a lot of time, a lot of love, a lot of conversation, a lot of hard conversations. But it's in the hard conversations that the growth really happens. Hard work over all of those years, and there were some really great highs yes. and also some lows, yes. including a judo championship. Talk about that yes. a little the bit. The other opportunity that came out of their their ESPN feature was the chance for D'Artagnan to move to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado and train in the sport of blind judo. Most judo athletes, I'd say all judo athletes, begin training when they're very young. It's a, definitely a pedigree sport. But the U.S. didn't have anyone in D'Artagnan's weight class and decided to roll the dice. And so he trained his butt off. <laughs> he was not projected to make the 2002 team to London. But he, again, surprised everyone, as is his M.O., and he made the team. Not only did he make the team, but as the only brown belt in London, he went on to win a bronze medal with Leroy and I. At the side of the match. I was just about to say, I know there's an incredible portion in the book, and I don't want to give this away for everybody because you got to go out and you got to buy the book. <laughs> Carry on, Lisa Fenn. She's on the story behind her success. But the, 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 the vision that I have of you standing there and Leroy standing there for this incredible moment in his life, what was that like? <laughs> You're getting all emotional just yeah, looking at you right now. It's been six years, and I'll cry on a dime about it because here was this boy who had felt completely forgotten and overlooked by this world. And for that moment, he got to stand on top of it. He had a medal hung around his neck. And it was, it was so powerful. And it was also just a portrait of how much potential lied in the rubble, not just for him, but for every child who grows up in poverty. Obviously, you did not give birth to these boys. They came from a different place, a yeah. different experience, and were so wounded by yeah. this world. But you became like their mom. What is mother love? <laughs> you know, I think mother love is something you told me the first time we met, which is that... We're both mother crying, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> motherhood means the light is always on. I think you're the one who told me that. I did. And I've never forgotten it. Yeah. It means that the phone will always be answered, the door will always be open, and the arms will always be outstretched. It doesn't matter what you have to say, what you've done, where you've been. 
you can always come back. And you have more children now. You have a beautiful interracial family. What do you say about that? You know, people probably stop, they look, they say, this is interesting. Yeah, who goes with who? An unlikely, <laughs> an unlikely love, an unlikely co- connection. What do you say to maybe moms and dads who are out there thinking they might want to do that too? Hmm. Well, I didn't go into it thinking I wanted to do that. Um, I never had great motherhood aspirations. I figured I, it might happen someday, but it was, wasn't my dream. And then in just two years' time, I became a mother to four children of different ages, races, cultures, and ability levels. I will never tell you it was easy. <laughs> and it was not the family that my husband and I had planned, but instead it was far richer, far deeper, far more beautiful than anything we could have imagined. So now I've got um, Leroy and D'Artagnan, who are today 26 and 27, and I have my two little ones who are 8 and 6, My eight-year-old son we also adopted from Cleveland the same year that we met Leroy and D'Artagnan. He, too, is African-American, and he considers Leroy and D'Artagnan his two big brothers, and he's got pictures of them in his room. He asked for a wheelchair for his last birthday so he could do wheelies like Leroy. It all just makes sense. <laughs> it's how it was supposed to be. I'm fortunate because I, I got a chance to visit Lisa's very happy, crazy house uh, <laughs> with toys all over the place and, and, and children with big smiles. <laughs> so how long has, has it been since you met the boys? Yeah, it's been nine years. So nine years have passed. Mm-hmm. Describe the men that they are today. I could talk forever about how proud I am of them. They are indeed men. And today, Leroy is living his dream working in the video game industry. He has reached self-sufficiency financially and and living on his own. Now when he calls, I no longer panic, but I smile. Um, (laughs) Any mother who's listening is going, yeah, that's how I feel too. (laughs) He asks really mature things like, how is your day? And what have you done this week? And we have a really lovely conversation. D'Artagnan is still training for the Tokyo Paralympics. He just finished his associate's degree and is now working on his four-year social work degree. Wow. And like you said, he... If he were here now, he would tell you that he's learned that the difference between making it and not making it in this world is having just one person who believes in you, and he is becoming. He is that person for so many others. He is still my extrovert, so I talk to him nearly every day, but it's rarely to fix a problem. He's usually calling to tell me how he fixed his problems. Amen. And I just, (laughs) um, I often hang up thinking, I can't believe it worked. (laughs) couple questions that I like to ask of everyone who sits sure. across from me at this table here in our studios. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received and could you pass along to our listeners today? Well, I think recently, just being in the throes of motherhood with younger kids and struggling to find that, to find balance between career and family and motherhood and being a wife and uh, it was a friend who said, stop trying to find balance. It's elusive right now. <laughs> You're not meant to be There's balanced no such in thing. every season of your life. And um, I think it was my pastor who he often teaches it as finding your go. 
instead of finding your balance. So finding how you are uniquely equipped and specially gifted to to impact either your community, your family, your school, whatever it is, for the good of that place and the good of the world. And in some seasons of life, like mine, that may simply be within the four walls of my home, and that's okay. I There was a point in my life where I was trying to maintain my career and my travel and have babies and write a book, and nobody had told me you can have it all, but it might kill you. It's <laughs> very true. That is That is very, very true. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Well, I'm also an introvert like Leroy, so I get around it first by sort of retreating into isolation and just absorbing the obstacle and sort of spending time with the obstacle, talking to the obstacle, praying through the obstacle. And it's sort of in that isolation where I draw my strength from. Both I find my inner strength and my strength from the Lord. And then when I come out of that that sort of retreated state is when I'm ready. Yeah. Success means different things to different people. How do you measure success? I just finished a personality test on this recently. (laughs) And for my personality, my measure of success comes from seeing the people that I love and the people around me thriving and reaching their full potentials and being able to communicate that and share that with me in return. The book, Carry On, which was a labor of love for you to write, Mm. is now becoming a movie. Mm. How do you feel about that? (laughs) What gorgeous woman is going to play the role of Lisa Fenn? (laughs) This is what I want to know. Yeah, when I hear it, when I speak to the film producers and I read scripts and I see my name on paper, I think I must surely be reading about someone else's life. But uh, it's got to feel good, Lisa. It's got to feel good. It's a story people need to hear. What's the message? What do you want people when they go to this movie, when it comes out someday soon? What do you want people to think? Well, I think what's neat about our story is that there's not just one message, but because there's three main characters and we're from three very different backgrounds and places of experience, that there's really someone for everyone to connect with for those who connect with Leroy and D'Artagnan, I hear them talk of how they take away their excuses that if Leroy and D'Artagnan can do what they've done after going through what they went through, then so can I. And for people and women who connect more with my character, their eyes are open to, to sort of taking that risk of love and investing in a place that they wouldn't have thought to have gone before. And then there's another subgroup of people that I hear from almost daily who read the book and now have a face and a name to put with children of poverty and come to understand that even adults in poverty didn't get there usually by their choosing. And when they read the trajectory of not only Leroy and D'Artagnan, but their family members, they compassion is birthed. And I think that's been the most powerful part of our journey together. I want to say thank you so much for agreeing to be on the story behind her success. Thank you so much for for your candid uh, conversation with us today. And um, I'm just so I'm so proud to be your friend. So thank you so much for coming. <laughs> I feel in. the same. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. This is a new series with one goal in mind 
to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. Connect with Candy anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story? We'd love to hear it. 